you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. But guess what? You don't have to wear a mask anymore. Evidently, that's the thing now. Who knew we'd finally reached the end of that whole coronavirus thing? So uh, there you go. How many of you were wearing a mask during the show? That's kind of weird, people, if you're doing that. But, uh, I mean, you should wear a mask when we need to wear a mask, not being one of those people. But but still, though, I don't know. It just seemed like a good joke that people would wear a mask during the thing. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. As always with our silliness at the beginning of the show. We uh, love you being here. Remember, Tell your friends, families, relatives to subscribe to the Chris Moss Show. It's You go on the Internet, you go to iTunes, you click the subscribe button, and when you do, this feeling washes over you of completion, of joining in a family that loves you but doesn't judge you. The best kind of family there is. There you go. Thanks for tuning in. Go to YouTube.com forward slash Chris Voss. Hit the bell notification. You also get a wonderful washover feeling when you do that as well. You feel like you finally hit the pinnacle of life and achieve something or not. I don't know. I can't promise that. The attorney said I have to say that. Go to Goodreads.com forward slash Chris Voss. It, uh, don't hit anything there. Just subscribe over there. And then, uh, of course, also all of our groups on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all those crazy places the kids are at. The big LinkedIn newsletter. Subscribe to that thing. That thing is fun. It's just, uh, it goes out every day and grows like a monster. Our 122,000 group on LinkedIn. Search for that as well. So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out on October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO Entrepreneur Toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate, and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. Or order the book wherever fine books are sold. Today, we have an amazing author on the show. He's got a hot new book coming right off the presses. This thing is so hot, it still has that print smell that can get you high, which is not a reason to order a book, people. I don't recommend that in any way, shape, or form. But some of you are going to consume this in audio book, and that won't get you high. I don't know what that has to do with anything this morning, but his new book is out May 31st, 2022. The book is called The Handler by M.P. Woodward. He's going to be on the show talking about this hot new book that's out. And some of his background is going to be kind of interesting in what he brings to the authoring of this new book. M.P. Woodward is a veteran of both U.S. intelligent ops and the entertainment industry. As a naval intelligence officer with the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, he scripted scenario moves and counter moves for U.S. war game exercises in the Middle East. In multiple deployments to the Persian Gulf and Far East, he worked alongside U.S. Special Forces, CIA, and NSA. Most recently, Woodward ran international distribution marketing for Amazon Prime Video, having launched Amazon's original video content in over 40 countries through more than 100 media partners. He collaborated closely with 
content creators and distributors in driving viewer awareness and engagement. Welcome to the show, MP. How are you? I'm great, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome sauce. Awesome sauce. So do you have any plugs like .coms, places you want people to find you on the interwebs? Yeah, of course I do. You can find me at mpwoodward.com and uh, Twitter is mpwauthor. There you go. There you go. So uh, what motivates you want to write this book? This is your debut novel too, right? Yeah, debut novel, something I'd wanted to do for for quite some time. You've mentioned my background and that it actually got me pretty close to the kinds of things that would make a book interesting, I, I had always thought. But while I was doing that type of work, that type of intelligence work, I, I you know, life kind of got in the way. And before you know it, you're married, you're raising kids, you have a business career, everything else. And then that business career really introduced me to a, a whole bunch of things, exposed me to a whole bunch of things that made me want to go back to writing. So I kind of drew on both experiences of the intelligence world as well as the, you know, being a tech executive. I would imagine that experience in the intelligence world gives you a lot of, what's the right word, fodder material for your book? Yeah, without a doubt. I think particularly on just plots as opposed to characters. There's certain characters, I, I think, is something that you can derive from, you know, the rest of your life. You can meet somebody and be like, now, now put that guy in the middle of a high stakes geopolitical environment and let's see how he reacts, right? Those kinds of things. But certainly when it when it comes to thinking about the deployment of forces and thinking about something that we used to call all source intelligence when the products of the 17 or 18 United States intelligence agencies all come together to fuse into a picture for, for the warfighters. That's something that I'm intimately familiar with and used uh, quite a bit in the book to help drive suspense. Wow. So give us a uh, 30,000 foot overview of the book, if you would, please. Yeah, you bet. So, so the book is about uh, a divorced couple where the, uh, the wife is still a committed career professional in the CIA and uh, she and her husband have been divorced for about, for about two years. And then with the Iranian negotiations happening in the background, the U.S. kind of had a, an ace in the hole in that we had an embedded asset within uh, Iran, a scientist, and then something happens that makes that scientist want to. But as it turns out, that scientist will only deal with his former handler, who's the ex-wife, or sorry, who's the ex-husband of the woman that's still in the CIA. And he makes it a precondition that he'll only deal with that guy. And he has since left the agency and wants nothing to do with it or his <laughs> ex-wife for that wow. matter. Yeah. Wow. Therein lies the therein lies the uh, conflict, I guess. So, is who, who are the main characters in the story? Well, it 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 probably helps to think a, bit, a little bit about what inspired the story. So, okay. when I was back, you know, so many things happen in the world. It's easy, and we all have such short short memory spans. It's easy to kind of forget about some things. But I, I was really struck by something. It was 2020, great year, <laughs> and uh, on 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 January 8th. A uh, Ukrainian airliner, I know we hear a lot about Ukraine in the news today. This had nothing to do with the current conflict. It just happened to be a Ukrainian national carrier. And it was taking off from Tehran with a lot of Iranian students on board, many of which were going back to, to Canada to return to school because it was January, right? So winter break was, was over. And mm -hmm. shortly after liftoff, the Iranians, the IRGC, Air Defense Command, the Iranian um, uh, sorry, Revolutionary Guard Corps, their Air Defense Command, fearing fearing aggression from the U.S., thought that this 
that this airliner was a, a cruise missile and they shot it down. So yeah. or that real world incident happened. And when that happened, it, it really made me think kind of deeply and empathetically about the families that, that were left to deal with that and how they might react to their own government making such a mistake and what, what they might do. And also some of the things that had led to, to that mistake. At that time, the U.S. and Iran were sort of on a back and forth, tit for tat escalating where they had, had recently launched some missiles into a base in Baghdad. And so it made me think a lot about that geopolitical situation. And then in my former life to think about how the, you know, the, the U.S. intelligence uh, community would react to something like that. So those were the things that brought it together. So one set of characters are the Iranians and the families affected by this. The other set of characters are the, the divorce couple that I mentioned earlier. Then there's a, a um, third set of characters who are really spoilers. And this gets to the, the geopolitical aspect of our modern world. And they're the Russians who think they know why these things are happening, but but they don't really. So those, mm. those are sort of the, the main players in the drama. What, are there, were there any favorite characters that maybe you identified or took from people in maybe your experience or real world or or something that helped shape your characters? Yeah, one of the themes I, I tried really hard to to emphasize was the value of relationships, the value of marital relationships, of family relationships, and how that is, in a way, our, our highest duty above, you know, national relationships and other things that, that we might do. So that occurs with the, with the Iranian family. It also occurs in the action between Meredith, who's the, the CIA professional still in the service, and her ex-husband, John, and the, the, the jams that they get into and how they rely on that, on that relationship, even though they're divorced. To, to sort of come through and, and, and save the day. And I, I, I identified with all of these characters to a certain extent. I tried to make them so they're not, they're not you know, too young. They're all kind of in their, in their 40s, old enough to have, to have experienced um, some things. So highly flawed. Some of them are, are led by, by things like uh, you know, greed and, and ambition and a desire to get ahead in the large organizations with it, with, within which they work. And of course, I experienced that uh, a lot uh, in my daily life. I've certainly, you know, I had to swim uh, with the sharks in large companies and those kinds of things. So I wanted to bring, wanted to bring those aspects into these large intelligence bureaucracies. Yeah. And so for the most part, she and, and he work for the CIA. Is it, is it largely a CIA-based novel? Yes and no. The, they're, they are definitely the main protagonists, and she's still in it. He's mm -hmm. out of it. And the CIA is at the core of the drama because they're the only ones that really knew about this one intelligence asset or it was, you know, controlled by them. But we bring in the Defense Department quite a bit because the extension mm -hmm. of intelligence policy ends up being a lot of different, a lot of different agencies. So, yes, mm -hmm. centered around the drama, but with hopefully a, a broader tableau of the other intelligence agencies acting out as well. Would you say it falls in the vernacular of like uh, vernacular, like a Jack Ryan sort of stuff? Those sort of thrillers. Yeah, I am. You know, a, a question I I get often is like, who who influenced you? I think sure. I you know, when I was growing up in the in the nineteen eighties, Tom Clancy was extremely popular in those kinds of books. And if you look at those books that that we called techno thrillers at the time, one of the things that they do really really well is they they discuss the inner workings of an agency 
highly accurately. So I wanted to capture that. They also describe the technology used, you know, back then, particularly for weapons and things in a very, in a very accurate way. I wanted to, to update that approach in a couple ways. One is our technology is much different today. And having been a tech executive, I really wanted to bring in what we see in, in modern telecommunications and internet technologies. I really wanted to bring that into the intelligence world and think a lot about how that would affect intelligence operators. I also wanted the book to be a bit more character driven and to have truly mm -hmm. flawed characters who were maybe doing things out of their own personal interests, not always necessarily the things that their job required. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes all the difference when it comes down to it. I, the, what are some other, what do you think kind of sets it apart from other books in the genre? What do you think makes it uh, stand out? What, one of the things that I, that I, well, at least reacting to some of the comments that I'm getting back from people, probably a big one is the empathy for people that are traditionally villains. We, we don't have people in this book who are just, you know, flat out evil and they're just driven by, you know, every, every bone in their body or they're non-American and so they're bad. Mm -hmm. Everyone in the book has a, a personal motivation. So you might not necessarily agree with that motivation, but you can certainly empathize with it. And in some respects, you might even root for them a little bit, even though you might you know, want something else to happen. You can certainly understand the roots of a conflict. And that's something I was really trying to go for so that we didn't have something where it was just sort of good versus bad or rah-rah side and a not rah-rah side. Um, but to really try to plumb the depths of that complexity in geopolitics and uh, and intelligence. Yeah, so a pretty interesting book. Do you, when you wrote it, did you see any? Did you see any any Hollywood you know characters? A lot of these books get picked up for Hollywood shows. You know, even Amazon and Netflix and all this stuff. Were there any characters maybe that you had in your mind from Hollywood that you're like, I could see like uh, you know Tom Cruise playing this. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I I think that's a t a temptation for authors, but I think it would be. Yeah. A, dangerous thing to do and if i'm honest you know you mentioned this is a debut a debut book when i started it it was really for fun i mean it was really for me it was a, it was kind of a hobby and an idea and something that i was exploring and so yeah i wouldn't have uh, kidded myself for one second that oh yeah no this is going to be you know this is going to star major major movie stars that that said i've been surprised at the at the amount of interest i've been surprised and not surprised because Having been in the in the streaming industry, I do understand the incredible thirst for for stories, for new content. There's the uh, appetite for streaming media, of course, famously has gone up quite a bit, and only more so since COVID. The other thing that I I have seen happening that's kind of interesting is that, you know, you mentioned the 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 Jack Ryan types of books, and of course, Amazon has a series, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, but but the Intelligence thrillers for the last, you know, a decade or so have really been closer to, to to terrorism and the war on terror because, you know, we kind of left the, the Cold War behind. But now I think most recently, in some ways, you know, I, I would say sadly, we're back to that great power competition where people are thinking deeply about China and what, what does China mean as a threat? Um, they're thinking deeply about Russia, of course, and Iran. And so we see this, it's sort of, it's, uh, you know, it's Cold War 2.0. And so I'm starting to see more and more intelligence thrillers that come from that side of things. Mine certainly comes from that side of things. And that's, that's, where, that's what I had intended to highlight 
In fact, geopolitics probably moved faster than I thought that I thought they would to the point where, you know, I, I look at the book now and it, in a way it has more relevance than I ever than I ever dreamed it would. And that yeah. that's not necessarily something that pleases me. That's just that the way the world has uh, has evolved. Kind of weird how that works. Everything seems to be circling around. Yeah, what's the, you know, it's a, life imitates something, right? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be even more interesting. There's rumors that on May 9th, I think it is, the May Day for the Russians, they're looking at expanding this war. At least I think they're going to use it to bring more people, you know, national draft or more conscripts into the war. And it, 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 it's super depressing thing. because I was I was reading in the, the newspaper yesterday, they were interviewing some man on the street, Russians, some of whom were accepting coffins back from, from the conflict. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're believing what they're believing, what they're hearing from the national government, from, you know, propaganda sources, you know, so they're, they're blaming the West. They're saying, Hey, yeah. look, and they're, you know, they're kind of taking Putin's line. And that's, um, that, that, that's rather distressing. And it, it hits on a, it hits on a theme I was trying to to get into this book, that in our modern world, information just moves a lot differently than it than it has in the past, and it can be manipulated, and it can move very very quickly, and it can come from just about anywhere, and that has an effect both on politics as well as as well as our policy. You know, it has been interesting the sort of information war that that it has. The Ukrainians uh, have been brilliant. I think we have the author of uh, a biography coming on in June for uh, Zelensky and his use of of social media and you know Zoom telecommunications and stuff. You know, being able to speak to different congresses around the world. The fact that I, I guess my understanding of what Russia did with their communications, they built some sort of new communications devices that revolved around three G. But you have to have cell towers to use them. So if you invade another country, take other cell towers, you can't use your cases or something like that. And so that's why they're stealing phones and crap because they can't. And then they're being picked up by, I guess, intelligence, you know, listening in and then Ukraine's picking. It's it's just astounding because you see a real failure of just, you know, being able to communicate and, of course, exposure. And then the Ukrainians have been brilliant about, you know, calling it out. He's He's been... He's been that Churchill who's, you know, trying to get the U.S. to enter the war and, and uh, stuff. Yeah, no, Zelensky's been super inspiring. And that I think watching that communications thing, it, it is it is a comment on our on our modern times in a couple of ways. One is how are they using um, wireless publicly available wireless technology? Well, there's a reason it's because there were their their own communications, you know, that we call in the world uh, C4I, their own communications and intelligence platforms just weren't that robust. And so they had to rely on public communications. And so, you know, I remember that when the war force first started, there was that that really long convoy that was 40 miles outside of Kiev. And you, you can picture communications breaking down and a, and a general getting frustrated and saying, you know what, put me in the put me in the Jeep, take me up front. I need to talk to these guys. And, you know, that exposed them to snipers and, and everything else. So, so communications, having a communication advantage is everything. and once you wander into somebody else's country, you better be pretty good at it or it's going to, it's going to fall apart. And I think that's what we've seen. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. It's like from the looks of it, I mean, the way their tanks are built and everything, I was reading, I think New York times put out a thing on how the tanks are built and they have a Jack in the box. It was WAPO or New York times or maybe it was wall street journal, but they have a, they have a uh, Jack in the box feature to them where the, the ammo is underneath the cage of the men. 
Yeah. So when you light that, you know, it basically shoves everybody and kills everybody through the top. That's why all those turrets are on there. I'm, I, I've been watching the war going, where are all those turrets blowing off? Right. I've seen that with tanks. Right. Like, that doesn't seem good. Yeah. You wouldn't, you yeah. wouldn't want to be in there. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be between them. So I've been learning a lot about military. I, I'm always fascinated by military books and military, you know, the, the, you know, the whole operation of, of how people are thought. And yeah, it kind of seems like we could probably take Russia in a week if it wasn't for nuclear weapons. I think that's super dangerous speculation. You know, every, every battlefield is different, but we have certainly, we have certainly witnessed ru- Russian uh, vulnerability. So let's let's yeah. put that way. Well, we have a lot of John Deere's here. We just send those in. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was kind of you know an interesting, an, an, an interesting meme from the beginning of the war is all the tractors towing the towing the tanks. Uh, <laughs> you're like, insane. you know, that's a fairly lasting lasting uh, iconic image. Yeah, like I can't imagine what they're doing at the Pentagon where they're just like, it's what what the right. hell's going on. Yeah, get and, the tractor uh, division on the phone. Yeah, uh, it's starting to bring me back to the movie. What was it? The Russia House. Did you ever see that movie? I did see it. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember when they find out that basically the Russian crap doesn't work, and they're like, "Yeah, we're, we're spending all this money." I think what's his face is we can't sell a war, or we can't sell you know the Congress <laughs> military equipment. Anyway, it's funny. Anyway, so it, this it, be- it, it is. You know, it is similar to that. I I agree. I, I what's fascinating about this though is that. In the last, uh, since about 2014, Russia's been spending disproportionately on the military and modernizing the military. And they've done things like they they launched uh, cruise missiles out of the, uh, I believe it was the Caspian, and they sent them into, into Aleppo. And they were so proud of this over-the-horizon targeting that it, it's, you know, it's on YouTube, right? So they're, they're like, hey, look at us. And so the, the force component has just changed dramatically and whether whether we knew this would happen you know in 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 Kiev that they would have these many these many issues i i i don't know but i i think it's better to be safe than sorry yeah and then drones i mean who knew drones were just going to be so crazy it's the smaller ones not those big ones but the you know these small yeah. ones are using to do stuff it's it's just it's crazy but yeah uh, i i and it's 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 an example of like yeah, that technology is affecting Absolutely mm-hmm. everything, right down to the battlefield itself, where you see these these drones that are you know kamikaze drones, switchblades that take off, fold their wings, and dive right into a tank, right coming out of an old-fashioned mortar tube. And I I feel like uh, you know war colleges are are putting together all their you know, American war colleges are putting all their material together as we speak. I, I think they didn't necessarily we didn't necessarily know the effectiveness of some of these things. And so you see a run at manufacturers on these kinds of weapons, and I think it'll dramatically change the the force component of our of our entrance of our infantry forces going forward. Yeah, kamikaze drones and stuff. The I was reading in somewhere there was a theory that that you know tanks are kind of obsolete these days because I mean they're just sitting ducks basically in these such things. But it'll be interesting, and it'll be interesting how many books are written. You know, between novels and, like I said, military intelligence manuals on, on this new style of war well, technology. Well, I, I, I think one of the most interesting things is that the classic way you think of a battlefield is, you know, there it is. The battlefield's over there. There's, you know, the, the two sets of opposing forces are facing off. Or maybe it's urban warfare and they're kind of going from building to building. And we're all steeped in, in movies like that. And in this case, the battle, the, the division between civilian and military 
is really blurry. And I feel like that is a, a very modern thing and, and, and is partially enabled by new communications technology. I saw something where, you know, it was an interview with, with a woman who had gotten a bunch of Javelin anti-tank missiles and she's driving her, uh, I think it was a Prius, and she's driving her <laughs> Prius around, you know, getting out and firing. And she called it her, her eco-friendly killing machine. <laughs> and then you then you then you're reading about hackers who are who are joining in. I mean, just to go on Reddit and and kind of oh, get the right. live feed from folks, it's very it's very interesting. And so you're seeing a lot of people join into these things that wouldn't never normally have had a stake. But I think the nature of our of our times means that they do. Yeah, it's definitely an information war. I think it was Putin, if I recall, who said that the future of war is AI. And I think he's finding out the hard way. Of his yes, this. that he doesn't have as much A as, <laughs> or as much I as he thought. Yeah. There <laughs> Plenty you go. of A, not enough I. Yeah. Yeah. Anything more you want to pitch on in your book, tease on in your book? We, of course, can't give away the ending in the middle. So that's the fun part about novels because you got to go no, buy the you- book. Yeah, you can't, you can't you can't give away the ending. I, I would just say, look, if you if you if you've been looking for that intelligence thriller, you're you're a fan of Le Carre, and you would look like a a reboot into uh, into modern times with modern tech. That's really what 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 this is about. There you go. There you go. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, MP. We really appreciate it, man. Hey, Chris, it's been great to be here. Thanks very much to uh, to your audience for listening as well. There you go. Uh, give us, excuse me. Give us your plugs before we go out to your dot coms, if you would. Yeah, it's mpwoodward.com, and uh, Twitter is at mpwauthor. There you go. There you go. Thanks for honest for tuning in. Uh, go to youtube.com for chess Chris Foss. Hit the bell notification button. Go to goodreads.com for chess Chris Foss. Go to all our groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, all the crazy places those kids are playing on on social media. Thanks for tuning in. Be good. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next time.